Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We are your hosts, Justice Stout and Michael Minkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At renewthearts.org, you can see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. In the last four years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value for projects by Christians who are dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you like what we're doing, please support our efforts by joining our patron community and perhaps by sponsoring a podcast episode. For more details, visit our website or reach out via email. Is it permissible to receive art made by people who clearly don't love and serve our God? And even if it is permissible, is it profitable for the Christian? What dangers are there in receiving art made by unbelievers? And what are the potential benefits? Do the benefits outweigh the risks? In this episode, we ask, what do you do with good art made by unbelievers? For this episode, we wanted to thank uh, Don Howell, who has given very faithfully to the Nehemiah Foundation and Renew the Arts over a long period of time, and I am really thankful uh, for his support. So you can find a lot of the material we're going to be talking about on this episode in Chapter 3 of my book, According to His Excellent Greatness, and also in Chapter 8 in the Question and Application section, I actually basically answer this question, Mm -hmm. um, whether or not it's okay to receive or whether or not you should avoid, uh, quote-unquote, non-Christian art. But what if I don't read? Okay, well, if you don't read, just listen to this episode. We'll give it to you in the the nutshell. Um, One of the problems, and I don't think I even properly addressed this in the book, because it's something that has come to me a little bit more um, clearly over time, is that even the very label Christian and non-Christian art is oftentimes not terribly helpful. No, especially when it when it's used in a in the terms of a genre, right? Which I guess is or necessarily what it's being. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. On CD Baby, whenever we publish some some of the albums that we've sponsored, you you select genre or mood and mood and, and mood. And, Genre and mood, right. and um, Christian. If you if you want to select Christian, uh, it's actually under the category of mood. Mood. Yes, your mood is Christian. Mood. Mm, interesting. Christian. That's how I feel right now. Yeah. I feel a little later. Later. <laughs> so well, different later. Yeah. So yeah, it's not really Christian art, Christian music, non-Christian art, or non-Christian. It, it doesn't seem to be a particularly helpful label. Certainly not uh, if you're using it um, in those terms. Part of the reason why is because it's impossible to define. I mean, art in itself cannot actually be Christian. It's like, you know, have you given your heart to, to, to Jesus? Have you accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior? It's like, uh, it's an inanimate object, guys. Are you talking to that painting? <laughs> yeah, he's like, what's wrong with you? Um, so it's, it's impossible to define in those terms. And also art, okay, let's just say art made by professing Christians mm-hmm. versus art made by unprofessing or you know, professing non-Christians. Um, what if that Christian wasn't really a Christian? Mm-hmm. What if the professing Christian turns out later to have actually rejected uh, his belief? Like, you know, if you look at Pedro the Lion, and now mm-hmm. David Bazan is a pretty outspoken uh, unbeliever and atheist. Well, that's the same guy, right? Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Look at um, Pedro the Lion and yeah. even David Bazan. Right. So David Bazan is the, sorry, lead singer of uh, Pedro the Lion. And uh, he wrote a lot of songs that are very edifying with Pedro the Lion. And I would say he actually wrote some songs even after that are edifying in a way if you receive them. Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Um, but what do you do with the work he did under Pedro the Lion if at that time even he was merely a professing Christian? And the same thing goes the other way. Right. Because you have unprofessing, unprofessing people, mm-hmm. unbelievers, who make works that are hard to deny their, um, their goodness. Right. Yeah. Or, uh, their craft, or even, at least, at the very least. At the very least, their craft, but even also their vision yeah. or their, their touching on the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's true. And a lot, and here's the other problem. Uh, a lot of good art is made by unbelievers. Like that that's the thing. It's like mm-hmm. unbelievers, it's not just that unbelievers occasionally find an acorn, you know, blind squirrels that they are. Mm-hmm. They they actually tend to find a lot of the acorns. Like mm-hmm. they they make a lot of really good art. Um and unfortunately, the converse of that especially in our uh generations is that a lot of bad art is made by Christians. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing you got to keep in your mind, and we're, we're going to re- revisit some of those, but those are things you need to keep in mind, I think, from the beginning. The other issue, and this is, I think, especially important in terms of Renew the Arts, is that this is not just an issue of receiving art, it's also an issue of supporting art. Like, you, it's not the case that you can just go and receive an art made by unbelievers, usually without supporting them financially. Right. Meaning I paid money to go and see this movie you made, or I paid money to, to get this album. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just that you're receiving that art, however damaging that might be to your heart or whatever, that's that's a side issue. The other issue is you're actually supporting them right. to continue to make art and whatever money you spend on them, like if you have a cable subscription and a Netflix subscription and you buy, uh, you got iTunes, you know, Apple uh, Music subscription or a Spotify subscription or any of these other kinds of things, and you're supporting all of these structures that are producing all this material, um, but are you actually supporting local Christian artists who might be struggling to feed their families? Like right. that's actually a serious issue. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're supporting all of it and you're still primarily supporting and giving a lot of patronage to local Christian artists, um, you know, that's great and everything. But if you're merely giving to unbelievers, if the money that you spend on the arts is spent primarily on unbelievers, I think that's a problem even if you're only ever receiving good art mm-hmm. and, 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 it's, and it's even edifying to you. I still think that's a problem because I do believe that we have a responsibility to support those within the household of God. Mm-hmm. And if there are people within your own household that you're not caring for, and instead you're sending your resources out, I, I think that's a problem. Now, I mean, you wrestle with that however you want. I'm not binding any consciences. Um, but uh, Rusty has talked about this. He said, he, he gives to a, a few missionaries, and um, he said, I felt bad not giving to them monthly because I do have a Netflix subscription. And mm-hmm. he said, shouldn't it be the case that I cancel my Netflix subscription before I stop giving to these other things? Right. And I, and I, and I agree with that attitude mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. I'm not going to bind anybody to that. But I do believe that that is a spirit of, of Christ-likeness. I do right. believe that is a true and Christian spirit. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, I do believe, I, I think this is very much the case, that you should primarily support good art made by as local a Christian as you can find it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, that should be the, the, the primary thrust of your support of the arts. Right. 
Right. So, but what about good art made by unbelievers? <laughs> you know, so like getting all those things out of the way. So those are the those are the main things. But <laughs> right. in in the other exceptions, yeah. And it's actually not just a small exception. It is a large exception because not a lot of local Christian artists um, are capable of, of output yet. And we're hoping to, you know, we're trying to change that. We're trying to move the conversation in the right direction. We're trying to support local Christian artists. Um, but if if the option for excellent local Christian art isn't particularly available, and certainly if the option of excellent and even true non-Christian art is available, how, mm-hmm. do, how do we deal with that? And how is that even possible? Yeah. Well, well, again, we're going to go back. We just had this episode on craft and vision that we, where we talked about craft and vision. We're going we're gonna to talk about it a lot more in the future too. But in this area, I think it's actually very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially in the realm of craft, unbelievers have been pioneers for a really, really long time. Now, maybe it's because they have nothing else to live for except for the material world. I don't, I don't really know. Maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. But you see this actually from the very, very beginning. Genesis 4.21, you go there and you see one of these uh, sons of Lamech in the line of Cain, uh, Jubal, is the inventor of musical instruments. Right. I mean, and he's not a believer. He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Like, he is not in the line of Seth. What's interesting is that that passage has been brought to me as almost like a... a, uh, An appeal against the arts? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It said, do you know, biblically, who invented musical instruments? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's this guy, and Mm -hmm. he's a bad guy. What's also difficult about that is that... um, there's also different other guys uh, that developed like metallurgy, metallurgy, and they're also bad dudes. And it's right. like and shepherding, so, it's like oh, so shepherding is bad, and metallurgy is also is also bad. bad. So right. that's obviously, obviously to me, I guess no, it's, it's, garbage. it's it's obviously not the point that that passage is trying to make. In fact, it is an interesting thing that it is. Um, David. Yeah, some some bad dudes that initially developed these these crafts and skills. Right, and then you have David, who shows up in the Psalms, writing songs on the harp, mm-hmm. using the cymbals, using the lyre, using right. the pipes, using all of these instruments that Jubal invented and pioneered specifically, specifically, yeah, for the the writing of sacred music. Mm-hmm. So, I think that because of that, it is oftentimes very helpful to receive unbelievers pioneering in craft. Because that, yeah. that's what this is. This has to do with technique. This has to do with technology. You know, you have all sorts of unbelievers who are who are really doing some amazing things. And just because it is an unbeliever doesn't mean that you can accept that, that pioneer. Right. Like you just said about that passage, a similar thing happened with rock and roll. Right. So unbelievers, most of them were unbelievers, pioneered... Um, Genres. The genre of rock and roll. And a lot or of that hip-hop. actually came with technology. Well, mm-hmm. specific, well, yeah, yeah. actually hip hop too. But right. uh, with rock and roll, you know, the development of electric, the electric guitar, which mm-hmm. meant having an electric amplifier, mm-hmm. which meant having. Which is evil, by the way. So no, I'm sure. <laughs> well, if it's clean tone, it's evil. Oh, yeah. But as soon as if, you. If the tubes are too hot, <laughs> then. That's the emulation. There is a discrete percentage of overdrive where it crosses the threshold into evil. We're referring to a, a buddy of ours. I think we've already told this story, but he, Jimmy had a conversation in church. He was leading, you know, worship on the electric guitar, and someone 
challenged him on how crunchy his guitar tone was. And they said, it's just, it, to, at a certain point... It's evil. It is evil. Like, it's wicked. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, uh, if it's too rock and rollish, if it's too crunchy, then it's wicked. But he wasn't saying that the, the um, amplifier itself was wicked. Clean tone was all right. So yeah. Jimmy actually made it completely clean and started just strumming an open chord and, and was turning up. And incrementally asking the question, is it evil is yet? This, and what's hilarious is that the guy didn't back down. He waited until he said, there it is. There it is. That's where, that's, <laughs> you've, you've crossed the line into evil right there. there. It was at, right there. At 56% overdrive or it was whatever. It's like, okay, well, make, make a note make on a the note. knob. Evil, evil beyond. Beyond is evil. Beyond this point. Um, so yeah, that's that's ridiculous and absurd, and that that por- that sort of uh, illustrates one of the major problems here, that an unbeliever, not only in their technique and in their craft and in their technology, but even in some of the questions that they're raising or some of the truths that they might be exploring, because they still can explore truths. It's like at what point or at what line or at what whatever. Well, honestly, that is a wisdom and discernment question. Mm-hmm. And even though it might sound like we're making fun of this guy, whatever is not of faith is uh, sin. Mm-hmm. And as ridiculous as his approach might be, if that's the approach that he's taking, and there is a point at which he can't honestly worship in communion with those tones... Mm-hmm. I'll talk to him and have conversations with him and try and graciously lead him into a, a point of discernment that is less superficial. But at the same time, I've got to honor that that's the approach he's taking. Mm-hmm. I, my biggest issue would be his trying to enforce that or um, or regulate everyone else on the basis of his particular uh, standard on that. And my main point with that is that just because a craft is is developed by non-Christians. There's going to be an association with the content of the craft, just mm-hmm. like rock and roll initially mm-hmm. was was not very godly. Or abstract art or... Uh, right, modern art. Yeah, or, or hip-hop or... Um, I mean, any number of things, honestly, like a huge number of things. Even the theater. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but... It's not crazy at all. Yeah. Like, in William Wilberforce's time, the theater was so thoroughly disgusting mm-hmm. that one of his initiatives in cleaning up England and passing good law and having a general reformation of morals was to rid themselves of the theater, mm. which is hilarious because it's not the theater. It's it's not um, the practice of theater that is uh, wicked. It was just a cultural association, and their theater was wicked, well, um, basically de facto. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean theater in other circumstances, other contexts, and other applications is wicked. Same thing with rock and roll. And that's why Larry yeah. Norman said, why should the, the devil have all the good music? Right. Um, you know, uh, rock and roll had developed to a certain point, and it's an enjoyable for style like stylistically there's nothing intrinsically wicked about a drum kit mm-hmm. right because that's mm-hmm. part of it is the drum mm-hmm. kit and then electric you got guitar. clashing symbols in the psalms i mean you got yeah timbrels and so yeah. it's not it's not the genre that's wicked even though it was developed in craft by unbelievers and larry norman understood that and he took advantage of that that platform um just and and to a degree even um redeemed mm-hmm. redeemed that that platform and that genre uh just like you could say david redeemed the harp or mm-hmm. david redeemed these instruments and people like david mm-hmm. uh actually use these instruments that were developed by unbelievers 
and use them to their true potential of glorifying the Lord and, and, and speaking truth. Because it is true, there is no wisdom, there is no counsel, there is no understanding against Yahweh. Mm-hmm. It's just a truth. It's a, it's a truth that anything that is good is God's. Mm-hmm. And you have in the screw tape letters, uh, screw tape tells Wormwood, like, you know, don't for a second think that we have ever been able to create even one pleasure. Like, we've never been able to create even one pleasure. That was all our enemy's production. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is the creator of all pleasures. He is the creator of all good things. All we've been able to do is to twist and pervert pleasures. In fact, if we had our way, we would make it so people would sell their souls for the smallest pleasure rather than for the largest. We want to get the pleasure as low and as empty as possible. Right. Right. And so to say, you know, oftentimes there is this attitude that if something is pleasurable or something is good or something has material uh, excellence, that there's a worldly mindedness to that. And I Mm -hmm. think that's part of our Gnosticism uh, episode that we had that I think definitely connects to this as well. Right. Where, um, so, so yeah, so craft... Well-crafted art by unbelievers can help the Christian artist to understand what is possible in the realm of artistic means and methods. And so, especially for a Christian artist, um, a, a Christian artist can watch an unbeliever's movie mm-hmm. and, or, or uh, listen to their songs or look at their paintings with you know, a critical approach. And that's not an excuse to let anything into your heart. As no. we discussed in the episode, go bleep yourself. Right. So, yeah. uh, we're not talking about let anything in on the presumption of uh, good craft, craft. Good craft. Right. Um, sometimes it's not worth it, Mm-mm. period, flat right. out. Right. But, sometimes um, it is. Sometimes it definitely is. Yeah. And there are examples. Now, who's going to determine that? Are we going to give you a checklist? Are we going to give you a rule book? No, mm-hmm. we're not. Because ultimately... It's as Paul says, every person will have to answer to God for the things that he approves. Um, you will eventually answer to God for what it is that you approve. Right. And I will not answer for you, actually. Um, and so uh, neither will justice, I don't think. Are you planning on answering for anyone in the judgment? I thought about it, but I decided, okay, you decided against, against it. it. All right, that's good. Um, the, the second part of this, even beyond craft, and this is where things get a little weird, but I think that the vision of unbelievers can be very helpful. And it goes back to the idea of all truth is God's truth. That's right. Which is basically the screw tape letter quote right. that you just said. Exactly. Uh, just because someone isn't a believer doesn't mean they are incapable of perceiving truth. That's right. And, and then communicating that truth. Even if, this is the other part of it, sometimes what they're saying is true, mm-hmm. but even if what they're saying is false it can be very helpful uh, to receive critically mm-hmm. what they have to say. Now, by critically, I mean not without thinking, but to receive what they have to say in order to determine where your society is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have the men of Issachar who understood their times. Mm-hmm. It's important to understand your times. Now, again, don't use this as an excuse to go and look out, look at pornography, you know, because it's like, well, I... I need, need to, to understand, understand my times. times. It's like, no, I think you can understand that without, mm-hmm. uh, you know, diving headfirst into the cesspool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that does take discernment. And again, don't don't hear us saying that. That's not what we're recommending. And uh, and each of you will have to answer for what you approve. Um, but there are a lot of movies made by unbelievers that are well crafted, well, you know, good presentations of lies. Mm-hmm. 
And when you listened, uh, when you watch those movies or you listen to that music or you, or you see the, the, that painting or whatever, what you're seeing is not the truth as such, but it is a very well presented and extremely compelling presentation of a falsehood. Mm-hmm. And it's helpful to understand this is what's compelling, this is what's driving things. And like we said in the Art of Prophecy episode, what you're seeing is the future. Mm-hmm. When you see good, uh, well-crafted art that is presenting a falsehood, you're seeing where your society is headed to. Mm-hmm. And that can be really helpful for what kind of gospel they need to hear. And I don't mean that the gospel is a different gospel, but I'm just saying, how does the gospel need to be framed in order to reach those people in the lies that they're believing? What right. truths need to come in confrontation with those lies mm-hmm. in order to draw and drive people back uh, to the truth of God? And so that can be a really helpful thing as well, again, with discernment. And ultimately, um, you should never receive any art without discernment. Mm -hmm. But uh, the other thing about this in terms of not the falsehoods, but the truths of unbelievers, I have found it to be the case that unbelievers often frame the problems of the world and even the thorny questions of the scriptures quite well and quite unflinchingly. Right. Because they don't have anything to prove. Right. And so, um, they may not have the answers, and when they try to provide answers, you just see how it all falls apart, and mm-hmm. the, there's, just, there's inconsistencies, and it just devolves into chaos or wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, in the framing of the problem, in the framing of the trouble, you know, the, 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 the conflict, they are extremely insightful, and they're not holding themselves back mm-hmm. from the truth of the problem because they don't have any vested interest in, you know, preserving some fantasy, right? Right. Um, sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do have a, a, an interest in in covering over the thornier parts of the truth. Yeah, yeah. Order, yeah. A lot of times Christian artists have more of an agenda mm-hmm. than a um, realistic uh, take on reality. Right. And um, it's typically very well-meaning, but basically what you're trying to do is force reality into a very formulaic uh, plot line if it's a film or mm-hmm. a very formulaic uh, structure if it's a song. Right. And, and, and you want to give resolution and you want to leave the people inspired and you mm-hmm. want to make sure they're encouraged. But starting with the moral and then telling the story uh, typically is not nearly as effective as starting with the story and letting the moral shine through events that are actually believable and perceptive. And trusting your listener, trusting your audience to some extent. I mean, Mm -hmm. my favorite author is Dostoevsky, as I've probably said, I hope, multiple times. (laughs) Go go and read everything he wrote. Um, But he often talked about how his approach to writing novels was the exploration of a question. Mm -hmm. And he allowed the characters to pretty much go wherever the characters were going to go. Mm-hmm. And if it and, and all he would do is just if this feels like a believable thing, it's really interesting. I think one of my favorite moments in Crime and Punishment is there's this scene, and um, Raskolnikov, the main character, is uh, confronting this real slimy guy, Peter, um, and the slimy guy has has placed a, a, a money in the pocket of this uh, poor woman, Sonia, mm-hmm. so that he could say she stole it later. 
Now, when Raskolnikov sees Peter putting the money in Sonia's pocket, he doesn't know why he's doing it. Until later, Peter uh, says, oh, I'm missing money. Who took my money? Mm -hmm. I think you took my money. And then the money is found in her pocket. And and her character is is being defamed by Peter in in, in this public setting. Mm -hmm. And Raskolnikov steps in and just like furiously like beats this guy down with a whole monologue of like <laughs> extraordinary calumnations, right? Mm -hmm. Well, um, at the end of this paragraph of extremely well-ordered and, you know, just brutal, savage criticism of Peter, uh, Dostoevsky ends it with, thus he said, or words to that effect. Mm -hmm. Now, when you read that words to that effect, and you're sitting here going, What? What do you mean words to that effect? It's a novel. You made up you what made he said. You made it up. You made it up. <laughs> if it's not what he said, then then change what he said. But it was almost as if you remember how Raskolnikov is dealing with a, like a great deal of feverishness right now. So it doesn't really seem like he would be this coherent. But I like the the force of what I've written here. And so I'm going to let it stand, but know that that's not exactly how I heard it when Raskolnikov said it. Right. You know, and it's like, "Oh my goodness." Like that guy was deep. That guy was in it. That guy. It was like, oh, so 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 Dostoevsky is sitting there observing this thing happen, and then is just sort of recording it for you. And sorry, I didn't record it exactly, but it was it was pretty close. Mm -hmm. That's good enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, and so great. yeah. So I think you know, letting your work do whatever it's going to do is something I believe unbelievers do more than Christians because they don't have a vested interest in making sure it all resolves the right way. Mm -hmm. But Dostoevsky was so good at doing this that he is highly respected by most people, and because of his faith and submission to God and the history of God and the providence of God and the power and sovereignty of God, you know, the reality is things are going to work out the way God wants them to. Yeah. And so you don't have to shy away mm -hmm. from the thorniest of problems and the most troubling of uh, circumstances. And uh, lately uh, in the film industry... We've had a lot of people or a lot of non-Christians actually telling Christian stories, and this is a really odd one, too, um, because of the popularity, probably, of The Passion, uh, mm -hmm. Mel Gibson's The Passion. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an immediate realization of the, monetiz mm -hmm. <laughs> the monetization of faith films. Right. And um, so, a lot of um, unbeliever-led productions of Christian stories have, have happened in films. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a pretty odd one. Usually it's not done well. Uh, usually it's it's actually like, you know, we really, really need to be telling our own stories. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully we'll get to the point where the church is invested enough in storytelling and in, in, the, in the arts that it's a, she, we are supporting the telling of our own stories. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, there have been some exceptions where I it's very odd, but a non-believer told the biblical story better than the believers. Right. The, a great case of this is the story of Noah's Ark. And um, growing up in church, uh, Noah's Ark is a great children's story. Kind of not <laughs> the most at morbid, all. The most morbid uh, children's story. I mean, you're talking about the time that God killed everybody. 
And you wouldn't know that whenever you look at the art around Noah's Ark. You know, you have all these happy animals Precious with the giraffes heading, poking their heads out of the portholes. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, all of the, I don't know, yeah, the children's books around it and uh, the art that accompanies it is always real cartoonish and happy and cheery. And, of course, it's after the rain's done and the mm-hmm. sun's out and maybe the dove's on its way back or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you don't see the dead bodies floating mm-hmm. in the water. And uh, for some reason, I don't know if I have ever seen a contemporary piece of music or art or literature that dealt with the story of Noah's Ark in the harsh terms that it actually is. Yeah. Except a song by a non-Christian or a non-believer who wrote a song called Noah's Nameless Wife. Mm-hmm. And this is Brian John Appleby. And I think we might have mentioned it a little bit before. We did. But. We have mentioned it uh, before. And we actually reached out to Brian John Appleby uh, about using that song at the end of this podcast, and he said we could. I think that this, in in my experience, it's, it's just a fascinating case study because I expect most people might have experienced the same thing I experienced in the church's treatment of the story of Noah and the Ark. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever I found this song and listened to it, it was very eye-opening mm-hmm. because I hadn't actually really considered, certainly not emotionally, I hadn't considered this story in these terms. I had read, in the Bible, I had read the actual account, mm-hmm. and I had even made note, like, whew, man, this is, this is hard. This it's is rough. rough. But the power of art is to speak emotionally as well and mm-hmm. speak to the heart and even bring the truths to a more... Um, immediate or imminent light where it, it makes it real to you again. Right. And and, uh, and this song did that for me. And it was like I was being told scripture from this guy that didn't believe scripture. And actually, he act, he, he brings this, this story up um, kind of, I haven't talked to him about it, but I think that there is a sense of him not liking God because of this, or right. even saying, really? No, that's one of is the major this? themes in that album. Mm-hmm. Now, the album's great. I do recommend you listen. I said, okay, here again, this is an unbeliever. But when I first uh, heard that album, what I thought was that this was a believer who was struggling very greatly and who needed encouragement and support. Right. And it turned out that this was a man who who had grown up in the church, I think, and at some point had had rejected it. And there are a number of these. There are a great number of different artists like this mm-hmm. um, that you can find out there who have the same thing. And it's like they never really lose their sense of the power of these stories and the and the power of the truths of these stories. But they they utilize all these things as reasons to reject. God, looking blankly and and staring hard at the truths of the scriptures, they've used these hard truths as a reason to reject God, which now, is one of the values. Totally, totally. Of this art, because they don't because, pull punches. Yeah, they don't pull. So, so one of the problems with most Christian art is that it's comfortable mm-hmm. and safe mm-hmm. and paints God in a way that you can accept Him on your terms, mm-hmm. and that's part of the 
problem with problem. dead religion, period. period. Yeah, is, it's idolatry. Yeah, is that uh, the religion exists not actually to confront a God that will make you fear mm-hmm. or a God that will make you change your ways or mm-hmm. a God that will force something from you or mm-hmm. even a God that will make you tremble. Mm-hmm but a God that you can keep doing what you're doing, don't worry. It's like an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And um, for a non-Christian to be like, these are the reasons, these things made me too uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. or I disagreed with these things too much, or this is actually a God that I don't like. Mm -hmm. For them to honestly and unabashedly deal with scripture on those terms Mm -hmm. is incredibly Helpful. helpful for a Christian to be like, you know what? That is a hard truth and mm-hmm. it's driven you away from the church and that breaks my heart. But because I want to God. experience mm-hmm. the hardness of it and realize that the Bible is not an easy book for me or it shouldn't be an easy book for me. And whenever you share your difficult experiences with it and show how at least you're honest with yourself enough to say, I don't like that God. Mm -hmm. And you share that experience with me, I can say, that is a hard truth, but I'm going to change myself or reorient myself or understand how God is to be glorified or praised in this instead of saying, God looks just like me, mm-hmm. and I can just be comfortable. Right, because the the two options into error and lies is on one side to tell the truth, the hard truth, the way it is, and reject the God who is behind that truth, mm-hmm. or in order to accept a, a, a quote-unquote humanly kind God on your own terms, you, you skate over those details, or you talk about how this is like barbarism of the Old Testament or any of these other kinds of things. Right. And, and so, it's either altering that God in order to make him acceptable, or leaving the truth as it is, but then rejecting that God as, as, a, as a megalomaniacal, barbaric, you know. Uh, or even just avoiding it. Yeah, or avoiding it, yeah. So, whenever you hit on Noah's Ark, it's just, well. Oh, let's skate over this. Let's not, skate over the right. Let's yeah. Let's skate over the horrible reality of what and this let's actually paint a, looked like. A pretty sunny picture with the rainbow and with the dove, and mm-hmm. and must not even and the precious moments. Animals. Exactly. Yeah, and so I think it's important for us as as believers to to take a good look, a good hard look at the truth of these things, and um and then to love God. So without any further, without any further uh, introduction, here's Brian John Appleby's song Noah's Nameless Wife. Said I don't 